Hello. Welcome to another week of water. That's why are we talking about rabbits. Rabbits run down rabbit holes. So it's a type of thing that the internet does. And what, what I'm, what, it's an ironic, right? It's an irony. Why are we talking about rabbits? Sometimes rabbit holes are super interesting and fun. So don't get me wrong. Today's a bit of a rabbit hole, but we're going to pull the rabbit out of the hole and we're going to investigate it. And we're going to do heavy things lightly like we try to do using history, philosophy, theology, deeply immersive experiences at our job called First Things Foundation. Look us up, www.first-things.org. Guys, there's like a little crew of us now that's growing to be a medium-sized crew. I don't really know what that is, though, on the interwebs. I mean, it's not like we got millions. It's not zero. Mostly it's fun. And mostly I think the thing I'm talking about today will uh, tell you about you if you're listening to this. I do, I think that. So this is me, John Hears. This is First Thing Foundation Podcast. And this is about tables. So is eating dinner at a table old world or new world? Hmm. An- another way to think of it is, is what is a table to us in the new world? What is it? What should we do at one? If you think about a table a little bit, they're becoming weirdly obsolete. I mean, it's called a laptop. I used to think it was called a lab top. I think you guys thought that too. Don't lie. Jeremy, by the way, welcome to Jeremy. I don't. I don't know why I'm saying that. I feel like someone, I feel like that's a, I feel like I was singing a Johnny Cash song, but putting the word Jeremy in place of another word, but I don't know which Johnny Cash song. Do you guys know? Jeremy. Oh, do not cut this, Jeremy. Andrew would cut it. Jeremy is our new editor. He lives in America. Jeremy, you're going to come on. Well, you did come on. You're one of the people populating this thing called the First Things Foundation Circle of Love. I made that up, but let's let's do one. I don't know what that is, but you're in it. Thank you, Jeremy. He is a volunteer. If you go to our website, you can find actual volunteer positions that have gravitas. It's not like we're just having you file, although that that's not a thing, actually. So don't worry about it. We won't make you do that. But Jeremy's here. This is, I think, is going to be his first shot at the big editing mojo. Dude, thank you. Go check him out. He had a great conversation with me during the Immersion series. The Immersion series is when we talk to people who get immersed deeply in some type of activity where they lose themselves. And he was a Mormon missionary. That's got Mormon missionary and then music. Or maybe it's pretty music, Jeremy. Don't get mad. We're not trying to anger anybody on this podcast. That's a fact, actually. So, Jeremy, welcome. Andrew, you're out there. You will hear this, but now you're like, too cool. Like, I'm in Russia. Now I only do Russian things. I think Russian people edit stuff, Andrew, so you didn't have to, like, totally bail out. It's okay, though. Jeremy's going to be better. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy editing, me talking. Here we go. So, tables. If you look at a table and you think about the history, which I'm going to talk about right now, 
My first question, have you ever seen a table made for one? Like a dining table, for example. Have you ever seen a table fashioned to seat one person at a time? Where they eat dinner one person at a time. It's weird, right? You, you haven't seen that. But I have seen people eat one person at a time at a table called their desk. Yeah. Why is that? What is a desk? So if you look at the history of desks, and I'm not just reading from the interwebs. I can't say I read a book about this, but I have read many books about sort of the history of infrastructure, and I've learned a few things, and here's one thing. For several hundred years, the term desk, it just was from the French word desca, I'm sorry, the Latin word desca, which just meant something on which you write, and it implied something portable. You, like a desk would have been a little little painter's easel because you could just move that thing and then write on it or paint on it or do whatever you had to do on it. Something on which you, you write. That was the old idea. And all the early desks came out of the ecclesiastical world, the world of monks and priests, because those were the cats that were writing. Other than that, for writing, for scribbling, like a scribbler, uh, you don't see a lot of single desks in history, right? By the 14th century, you start to see something like a desk that you and I would recognize. And that's in the middle of the 14th century is when you start to imagine that you might make a desk for one person. Even the old monastic desks made for writers of the holy words in Europe they were never for one. There would be for two, three, four, five. They would sit together. But it was in the 18th century, in the 1700s, that desks became sort of a status symbol because if you had one in your house, then you could read and write. And you might need a desk on which to write, say, a letter. And so the new type of furniture, this desk, was originally made sort of like as a specialty item, not unlike a car. Early on, those were just, you know, those were for big wigs and they were very ornate. And that's what these desks looked like in the 18th century, right? Thomas Jefferson had one in Monticello. If you've gone there, you've seen it. And his, his boasted of this like incredible uh, homemade five-sided standing desk. <clears throat> and he had a what he called a polygraph machine that allowed him to make multiple copies of his work. And he, you know, he had like the limousine of desks, early 1800s as the president. Um, that was when it was cool to have a desk because it said something like, I'm an intellect, which makes sense. And you can see that converging with the new enlightened ways, really, of the enlightenment that's coming out of the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries. In 1888, I find this stuff interesting. If I've lost you, come back. Because watch what happens in 1888. The Cortland Desk Company figures out how, well, this was their phrase. We make a desk for every home. Wait, let me, that was bad. 
We make a desk for every home. I like that better. That's the one they should have used. But yeah, there's this great poster. You can find it. I, I'll have Jeremy share this link. There's this great poster of this, and they, 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 they were basically learning how to mass produce desks for the elite. And then voila, out of that mass production came the single-seater workstation that we know of as a school desk, a desk now being produced in the 20th century in big numbers for public school students, which, by the way, is a brand new thing. I mean, it, after the Civil War, it's a brand new thing. And by the early, by the turn of the early 20th century, right in there, it's a brand new thing that everybody's going to go to school. And so everybody needs to write. And therefore, music there, everyone needs a desk. And so that's sort of the origin of this, I don't know, this mass-generated work desk phenomenon where... Before the pandemic, everyone ate lunch. Now, if you just think about that for a second, this desk, a place where New World people sit down to work, associated with laborious stuff, with mind-boggling events, I mean that literally, things that both create angina, but also create a deep sort of a focused attention on ideas, that table in our culture in the New World before the pandemic anyway, it was becoming the place where you ate lunch. I mean, how many of you out there did that and do that? Well, first, how many of you after the pandemic are back at a, like one of these cubicle joints? How many out there work at a cubicle? Because that's what I'm talking about, right? Eating lunch at those desks in the new world culture, let's just be honest. Eating at your desk, it's kind of like drinking alone on your couch. Something dark about it. Am I too strong? It's it. Jeremy, can I say it's unhealthy? I don't. I. I, I don't know. Science backs me up on this. By the way, science says that that's not a healthy endeavor. I don't. I don't know why. Maybe it's bad for your back or something. How how, how would science make that judgment? unless you include psychological science. But anyway, that's another question. But why is it unhealthy? So the studies show that we eat at our desks and become unhealthy because we eat too fast, get fat. We eat alone, therefore getting lonely. And that eating is somehow, science says this, which is weird, somehow a social event. And so it's the alone part that's the problem. Being alone with your food and with your work is a type of virus. And in some ways it makes us ill, right? Eating is meant for a different kind of table and that kind isn't a desk. It's the kind that includes other seats and other plates and other people. So in the old world, what you see are big tables, if you see them at all, and they're all for eating. And in some ways, they're for communion. Yeah. A work desk is for communion, but not with other people. It's for communing with your ideas. 
And so in some ways, in the old world, communion was about people. And in the new world, communion at your desk is about ideas. And this leads us to something like the Capey effect. You've heard me talk about it. Capey is the name of our restaurant. First Things Foundation opened a restaurant. How cool is that? It's a nonprofit restaurant. So like when you eat khajapuri, like this cheese deliciousness, then you also donated. <laughs> it's true. So the KP effect is something like when you set a table, preferably with some wine and some tasty food, and then some people intent on talking and toasting to one another, and then you throw in this tamada, this toastmaster that sort of orders the table, but order there is important. Order, it, it creates a hierarchy. When, when you do that, and hopefully the tamada is poetic, oh Lord. And you do these 16 traditional toasts on love and marriage and I don't know, I don't know, creativity, war, death, sex, music. When you add in these conversations, well, maybe some dancing. Yeah. And then some more toasting and then a, there's a ram's horn and then you might get vodka and then you throw in. What happens is, is you begin to crack the door on a pretty wonderful thing called relationship. A human relationship. And when you create the table this way, you're creating your very own cosmos. I'd go to far, as far to say as you are actually creating a lifestyle. You're organizing one of these ligs, a religion here, meaning, of course, a worldview bound together by ligaments, ligaments being the principles on which you rest, on which you base your life. Religion, that's the old Latin idea, came out of Rome. Hey, and there goes a guy cutting grass right next to my window. In some ways, I think, I think the table becomes an icon of relationship. Uh, in the capy world and in the old world. And that becomes, the relationship becomes the grist for love, for this elusive thing. The table invites this. The desk, it doesn't invite that. It invites work, which is not a bad idea. I think this is one reason new world people always say, make sure you love your work. Make sure, hey, when you grow up, make sure what you do is something you love. Okay. In some ways, it feels like that phrase is a compensation for loneliness. I think we're sort of hoping to have a love affair with our desk because we know the desk and that job is coming. It's like a, it's like a locomotive coming out of the, the awful, the awful shadowy dark. It's coming for you. Make sure you love your work. You're soon going to be chained to it. Actually, there's a great photo. I'll try to find it. I don't have it right now ready, Jeremy, but it's of students in the early 1900s in England doing work, and it just looks like they're at school. And then you look carefully, and they're actually chained to their desk. <laughs> but actually, like a chain around their ankle. That's hot. I really got to get that. Andrew, Jeremy, get that up. Maybe that's the picture for this week because it's out there. 
So anyway, I think we might be us New Worlders compensating when we say make sure you love your work uh, because we know there's a degree of loneliness in that desk. So make sure that you love the thing you're focusing on. So the table, the KP, it, I think it asks us to go out. The KP demands that we listen. The KP demands sort of that we obey. There's this order. And we don't only get to obey ourselves. The KP demands we listen to others. It's where we find the other. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a KP. It's a dinner table. It's the concept of a dinner table. Right? I mean, it's, think about it for a second. To know yourself is to know others in the same way to know yourself is to have a mirror so that you can see, actually, actually see the back of your head. Like mine is bald now. I'm showing it to you on the video. But I can't shave the back of my head properly because I can't see it without a mirror. The other, the mirror, or my wife, who's like, oh God, that's, that's awful. When she sees it as the other, she sees me as I don't even know myself. Like, oh my God, there's a pimple on your butt. But I can't really see it. I don't even know about it. Did you know you had a, did you know you had a birthmark on your butt? No, not until someone told you. And so what does that mean? It means it takes the other to know thyself. Right? Georgians always say at the KB that we always have to invite an enemy. Because if the enemy comes to the table, they're not by nature going to love our toast. And so our toasts have to get better. Our enemies can become our friends. And when they become our friends, they've made us better at being a friend. That's the KP effect. Right. And I... If I just would say one thing about it, it's a momentary embrace of humility. It's when others seem more important than yourself. Right? We Westerners, when we push our desks together, essentially in, in a lot of ways, we are trying to find ourselves, which is pretty cool. Right? So at first things... That's kind of what we're trying to do when we go into the field. Leave ourselves and learn about us through the service to others and very different others, like really different others, people that we don't even speak their language. Sort of the first fundamental way of relating, right? Let's take a break for one second to hear from me. <laughs> Let me read this copy for you. Hi. Welcome to Watar. Thanks for listening to First Things Foundation podcast. This is an advertisement to have you join us this November as we delve deep into heavy things lightly with our online pod course. This one's a little different. If you're in the Greenville area, you're going to have the opportunity to come to our restaurant. We're going to open it up specially for you. And then we're going to sit around a table, drink delicious white wines, or sorry, Georgian wines, white, orange, and red. And we're going to share a table while we talk about philosophy and heavy things done lightly. I'll be announcing the name of the course, which is an online course where real life people join in from a real life place. And when we do, 
We call it the Watar Pod Course by John Hears. That's me. Look for it. And if you are a recurring donor, you're in. Become a recurring donor. Join us for the Watar Pod Course starting in November. And if you're in Greenville, come by, sit down, imbibe, and chat live. So we leave knowing very little about ourselves and come back like heavy laden with the rich wealth of this communitarian idea. But, you know, there's also this other thing that happens in the old world where there's a lot of community and not much work. (laughs) How about that? So we could do a whole flip side about the notion of attentiveness and attentiveness or attention to idea. You see, in the new world, the idea becomes very, very real. It becomes almost the entirety of the work in that the work is to find out, suss out, and put into the world the idea, this very esoteric intellectual concept of joy. What is joy? We start to bear down and attend to what that is. What is a proper building? Building. The study of, right, architecture. The study of my my body, biology. The study of my mind, psychology. Everything is a bear down moment, a focus, an attention on a particular singular idea. And that kind of work has to be done at a desk. And that kind of work generates a lot of product. In other words, the ideas become product. And the product becomes the point And that's not a terrible thing until the product becomes the point of life. Yikes. Now the single desk is disastrous. The single desk and that lifestyle, that religion, that worldview is why we have just uncanny amounts of depression in the Western world. Right? Our diseases are the same type of things as our joys. Our diseases are, quote, mental, and all of our joys are mental. If you don't like mental, they're all Gnostic. They're all in the idea realm. And so are our sicknesses. So if you remember before the pandemic, I think, you know, desks were desks. But since then, you've got this momentum toward homework and home offices And I wonder if that momentum hasn't led to a type of, um, right, a type of lonely house as desk. Like a single-seater workstation now becomes a single-seater workhouse. And so to not be so distracted, I mean, to not be so lonely, we get distracted with our other electronics that lead us out of the house metaphorically and into, say, the world of Netflix, that's a very interesting idea that I, I'm not I'm not prepared to talk about. But the desk at least was at the office where the way to get lost was to talk to your mates. Now the way to get lost is to go deeper into the electronic world. Because after all, your single-seater workstation called home, yeah, it's lonely. 
So to get unloanified, loanified. What's a what's the word? What's the sound for the word to get unloanified? That's not a thing, man. There shouldn't be a sound for that, Jeremy, and there shouldn't be a me making a word like that. It's stupid. Anyway, I feel like there's a postmodern meandering away from the lonely and towards something like a capy table, but I don't know I don't know what kind of form that takes. Anyway, that's a lot of stuff to chew on. And that's our podcast for today. But I want to end I want to end by basically reading some comments. Want to do it? This is from you guys out there. This is from DS Gloria. And she's writing about when we talked to Jonathan Jackson last week, which is pretty cool. And she she writes, a good Orthodox movie may not change one's heart immediately, but the grace within it, it conveys a powerful divine energy. Right? And that she says, she and something divine, something good will happen. You just don't know what, in my humble opinion. And I agree. She's commenting on our talk with Jonathan Jackson where he's trying to talk about what a movie is and how it works. Thanks, DS Gloria. Luke Thompson on the same topic says, all truth is personal. The objectivist word kills meaning. I know, man. That's my go-to hammer. It's just hammer on those objectivists. All truth is personal. This gets nuts, right? Because again, Jonathan Jackson was talking about that the end of all things is something like the manifestation or incarnation of Christ, like over and over again in daily activity. Like if you live real and you live truthfully, then you just manifest the beauty of Christ over and over again. We got into that, which I think is pretty cool. Right. There's other comments out there. This was, uh, this is, Jonathan, a lot of people like that Jonathan conversation. Uh, we talked to, well, we heard from basically a guy here, Damascene, who's trying to talk about me and my brother back on a podcast where we talked about perennialism. And Damascene says, Father Peter is John's flesh brother and John is Father Silouan's godfather. And both Father Silouan and Father Peter are spiritual brothers by virtue of their ordination. And because I'm the oldest and to my brother and also Father Silouan's godfather, guess what? I'm the boss of all of them. That's not actually what Damascene says because Damascene is a nice man who's smart. And I am a little bad person who's dumb. But I am having fun with that concept. I feel like I should flex or something because... I am in charge of both of those clerics. That's all I have to say. Okay, none of that's true. I get it, 100%. Uh, we had this comment from somebody who wanted to talk about um, Uncle Seth. I found this very interesting. I, I want to read this comment. Rachel. She's talking about Uber Monsters. We were, we were, we were, we were, this is the one before the last one on Aliens. I recommend the aliens one, except for at the end 
when I started to sweat blood. Don't do, don't, don't listen to that. But Rachel says, as for sucking the poison out, what we were talking about was <clears throat> all of us carry around poison. And I think the job of each other toward one another is to suck out the poison. Like if someone got bit by a snake, you wouldn't roll up on them and go, I can't believe you got bit by a snake, you sucker. You're an idiot. You would try to suck out the poison and spit it in order to protect them and yourself. You would try to do something beautiful to help them. So Rachel says, as far as sucking out the poison, some have more poison than others. And those people that have the bad stuff, they need more time to heal from the poison deep in their body. I added that last part. So she says, Rachel, on the Uncle Seth Uber Monster podcast says, so I think there is always a way in the Uber Monsters case, there's always a way to learn and to love people even when they're nasty. I like these comments, right? Jacob the Fool says, does, does Seth think atheists are religious? And by the way, I asked Seth that and his answer was no. And his answer was basically because, well, because it's a God thing. It's about God. So there's a lot more out there. I'd love for you guys to comment. Keep commenting. Keep talking. Keep supporting First Things. Come to Georgia. Still one seat left. That's right. One seat. What? Why don't you just get on? It's We're leaving in 10 days. Just do it. Write me. Write me. John Hears at first-things.org. Otherwise, have a great day. Be wonderful. Love your neighbors. Most of all, keep listening. Write those comments and like and love us. And come to the restaurant. There's a lot going on. In fact, there's more than I can even say. www.first-things.org. Go there. Donate. Who loves you? <laughs>